0: attention all international medical students and graduates are you looking to improve your residency competitiveness and achieve your dream program match look no further introducing the 2023 img roadmap course the online program that will boost your personal and professional growth this comprehensive course offers life cohort based coaching From a seasoned expert me along with personalized feedback templates and even demos you'll leave with a solid understanding of your personalized img journey and the skills you need to enhance it you'll ditch the overwhelm and the best part you can learn at your own pace from anywhere in the world whether you're a first year medical student or a graduate seeking concise practical coaching to improve your cv this is the perfect investment for a successful career in the U.S. The IMG Roadmap is here. Be the first to know when the doors open in April of 2023. Sign up right now at drninaloom.com forward slash waitlist. Again, that's drninaloom.com forward slash waitlist. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap podcast. Today's guest is near and dear to my heart. And you guys probably hear me say this all the time, but this one is really real. We're going to welcome Dr. Kim Bong to the show. Dr. Kim Bong is an internist currently practicing as a hospitalist. And I don't want to like spill the tea because everybody that comes on the show is an IMG, obviously, but this one is special. So Dr. Kim Bong, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight?
1: Hey, thanks. Hello. I'm glad to be here. I'm doing all right. How are you all right.
0: doing? I'm doing great. Just hanging in there, taking a day at a time. Nice. So, usually when we come on the show, we like to know a little bit about your background in medicine. Can you tell us some about yourself?
1: Sure. So, just real quick, I was born in I was born and raised in Cameroon. I did my medical education back in Cameroon. So, I got my MD degree from Cameroon and practiced a little bit, not a whole lot, probably one two years, and then eventually came over to the state state residency in Texas, and I'm here.
0: Awesome. So what year did you finish medical school in Cameroon?
1: I finished medical school in Cameroon in 2014.
0: Okay. And how many years did you practice there for and in what capacity?
1: So in Cameroon, when you finish with your MD degree, you're pretty much, I'll call it a general physician. So I practiced like a general physician for two years. Yeah. Awesome.
0: And did you already know at that point that you wanted to start working towards the USMLE or at what point, what was the trigger for you that made you think like, hey, I should take the USMLE or what was your planning around that?
1: So while in med school, I mean, there's a couple of seniors who were ahead of me. Every time I talk to them, they always mention the USMLE. I mean, I just took a natural liking to it, but when I was in the sixth and seventh year, I think there's a couple of guys who were actively preparing for the USMLE and they were really close to me. So I used to talk with them, just like, actually monitor their journey and when they were successful. And you know, oh, this is something cool. This is something which is definitely doable. And so when I finished medical school, that's when I, I kind of picked up material and started preparing.
0: Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you had mentors in your educational process that I kind of given a glimpse of what was possible. And so it was easy for you to sort of pick up from where they left, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So where did you go to medical school? What was the name of the school?
1: I went to Kiosk. That's the old name. Right now it's Faculty of, medical, Faculty of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences, University of the but one. but it was popular by Qs.
0: Right. So yeah. for, for those who don't know, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm also from Cameroon. And this is that's the first medical school in Cameroon in general. But then yeah. also, it is the oldest and the most reputable yeah. medical college we've had for as long as I can remember. So it's actually one of those schools I have a funny story. I did take the exam for Q's. Oh my. And I'm still offended that I did not <laughs> get acceptance into Q's. But... That's a whole other story for another day. <laughs> hey, yeah. but
1: it, it worked out. It worked out.
0: It yeah, worked out. it did. You probably heard me say this story. Have I said? ever told you this before? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. You did tell me. You did tell Anytime me.
0: times probably, because it's still a sore spot. It's those yeah. kind of things that cause trauma for people.
1: Hey, so, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens yeah. for a reason. So.
0: No, I, absolutely. Absolutely. In many ways, I do agree with that. And we'll segue into that because I feel like even how we met was very much serendipitous in that in that light. So. Let's talk about USMLE preparation. Did you start preparing for USMLE back home in Cameroon or did you start after leaving the country?
1: I actually prepared for step one in Cameroon because I wrote step one in Africa. I wrote it in Accra in Ghana.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I prepared for step one. After I graduated from med school in 2014, I started preparing I want to say sometime around maybe January, February of, uh, 2015. And I took it, um, in September of 2015. So a couple of months. So all of the preparation, all of that was done back home. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. So I didn't realize that you did step one in Ghana. Like this yes. is new information to me. And I feel like I've known you for several years now. Yeah. So, so this is something that is commonplace, right? Like For Cameroonian doctors or even West African doctors that are interested in taking the USMLE to go to another country to take it? Because I believe right now we don't have a Prometric Center in Cameroon. No, we
1: don't. But
0: where are the other Prometric Centers then? Like where, what are some options for African physicians that are looking to transition?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the ones I'm aware of, Ghana is is the most popular because it's closest to us. But there's, there's there's a center in South Africa, I think. I had a friend who wrote there actually. And then I want to say, probably somewhere around the northern African countries, probably in Egypt, or one of those countries up there, it should be a center. Oh, probably even in Ethiopia. I believe. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not, I'm, don't quote me on that. Ghana and South Africa for sure.
0: Yeah. Right. I think that's very strategic. If you look at the map too, like to have one south, one west, one east, and one up north, um, I think that's very strategic if, if it is. Indeed, as such. I've always heard there's a center in Egypt, but I do know for West African physicians, a lot of them tend to gravitate towards going to Ghana for for that exam. So you studied at home and how was your performance? I mean, do you think that you did really well, even though you had studied for a test that maybe you hadn't taken anything like it beforehand? What was that process like for you?
1: Well, it was, I mean, just like Anyone who's taken um, the steps to tell you it's pretty intimidating. But I think it's a little bit reassuring when you have people who you really can relate to, because it's one thing reading people's success stories off of the internet. And it's a different thing talking with someone who, who you studied with, someone who like you really understand their journey. So when when I was preparing for it, it was intimidating, it was difficult, but I knew it was doable because I literally saw two guys who were very close to me. Who literally just did it like within a couple, like a year before me, so I knew oh it's something which is totally very doable. So even yeah. when it was tough, even when the preparation was getting very tough, and you're like, all right, you just probably need to stick to it. And uh, at the end of the at the at the end of the day, you make it. My performance was was pretty good actually, anyway for the time. That one I think I did pretty okay. I had a 240, and uh, back then that was that was pretty big. I don't know what's big these days, but I guess 240 is still going to be given in 2022.
0: Right, absolutely. So obviously step one has moved into more of a pass-fail format as far as okay. like the USMLEs, but step two still has a numerical score. And for many people, I still believe step two will become a new standard. And I agree with you, a 240 score is pretty dang good for USMLE performance, especially given that you you studied for this independently. such an independent of, having any of what we think is the better environment to study for the U.S. Simulian. and And I think that I want you to just speak a little bit about what are some things that you think that you did differently? What resources, how did you prepare without necessarily having to be here to perform that well? Cause there's a misconception that probably have to be here. You have to have done like a Kaplan life course or some other life program for so long. And, Need to understand the U.S. system to be able to do well on the test. But I mean, what is your take on that kind of uh, a belief system?
1: Well, I mean, clearly, I didn't study. I didn't study the. I didn't take the steps, so I didn't study here in the U.S. So I don't really know what it entails to study here. But one of the things which was very helpful during my journey was a study partner. So I have a very good and uh, very close friend, Sylvester we did pretty much the entire process together. And I think it goes a really long way because it's one of those things which there are days which you just feel like giving up and stuff. But when you have someone, someone you're working with, when you're down, he you uplifts you, and vice versa. So that was really helpful.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100%. Community makes a big difference. And you've mentioned it even before that even having people that you could look up to that were in your school that had completed the process and actually came out with good reports, you can look at them and say, the way I talk to myself is usually like, this person doesn't have 10 heads, right? Like if they can do it, I can do it as well. So yeah. that's usually my consolation, but it's also one of the reasons that gives me hope and it helps me work hard because it's one thing to look at or have the support of a community or a study partner, but then you're not mirroring what they're doing or you're not as effective or efficient in what you're doing, because then the other person goes ahead and leaves you behind. So it's not always like study partner is just going to change the game. For those listening, it's also about hey, when you work with people and you study with people, are you learning from them? Are you both being competitive in a good way, like helping each other grow and move forward? Are you gaining anything from from that relationship, whether it's a men- mentor-mentee relationship or than a colleague or a senior at school or somebody that's going through the process with you, just by virtue of being at the same level of education. So I really I think that's a good tip for everybody listening: is to find a community that can support you through the journey. Simply because it's it's very difficult, it's very challenging, it's very intimidating in many ways, and it doesn't help that there's a lot of negative press around the whole process too. That just makes it really even more intimidating. So let's talk a little bit, let's pivot now into, we now know that you did all this work from afar and then transitioned to the U.S. What was your application cycle like? Do you remember like, how much you put into it? How, much, how many programs you applied? What are some things that you did maybe that you think was beneficial for your application?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. First off, I think I always say my application was a little bit rushed because I was doing like, like a zillion things at the same time. And uh, I really didn't have like most people who typically, most candidates who, who apply, they have like a good number of months, probably six months. Like they've done the st- the steps and then they have all this time. Maybe they're shadowing and things like that and preparing the application and all that. I really didn't have that luxury. I came to the US, I want to say, because I literally came to the US on the back of completing my mph program so i came in and i had two months and i had two months to figure everything out the good thing i'd already taken all of my steps so that was good but i didn't have like letters of recommendations and everything else even a personal statement i haven't even started writing that because i was very focused on other things so it was rough but one of the the big things um, really after taking the steps i would say the steps are really important if you haven't taken the steps But after taking the steps, I mean, of course, obviously, you can't do anything about the scores no more at that time. What comes in even bigger at that time is networking. Networking is huge. So when I got into the US, I mean, you were one of the the first people I spoke with. Of course, there's Dr. Nike Yembe as well. And you guys just made the whole difference because I didn't know where I was going to get recommendation letters from and I didn't even know how I was going to proceed. So it was just like, Asking people left, right, and center. Because to me, prior to even coming to the US, all I was focused on was just like, "Oh, let me nail the boards. Let me get the best course I can get." And I thought that was that was all about it. Until I got here, and then I realized it was a whole different ball game. Like that's literally just the first part, and then you have this whole other work you have to put in. so yeah. it, it was pretty intense. I'll tell you that. Yeah,
0: I would. Yeah. You know, I agree with you in the sense. That- the scores and the boards are great, but but I think people, what people don't realize is that's just like the tip of the iceberg. It's like the scores oh, yeah. just open up the doors to say, hey, you're okay to, to actually apply, right? right? But are you really going to get attention when you apply right. is the question because you're with a pool of applicants and there are so many other great applicants with great scores just like you. Oh so yeah, way,
1: way better, way, way better. better. When right. you start going on, any of your trails, you realize like, maybe you were going in there thinking, oh, you're the big dog. And then you hear a couple of people talk and you're like, oh my, geez. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah I
1: mean, it's, really, it's really intimidating. Oh mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And so then you realize that there are other things that make a difference and can make a difference. And I like oh, that you yeah. mentioned networking because I think that's a hugely underutilized tool, especially for those of us that come in as non-US IMGs. Because for one, we don't realize the power of networking. I mean, we do know about it because even in the society that we're raised and our culture, it's part of that. But we don't realize that it has the same weight, if not more, because career in the U.S. is just like any other career. And networking is still the number one way that people get leads, people get jobs, people get opportunities, contracts and whatnot. And it's not different in medicine. But for some reason, whether it's cultural shyness or just lack of knowledge, we're unlikely to realize the power of that and to really prioritize that so we can put our faith forward and move forward. And we think, oh, you know, yeah, I'm going to have a great score and that's going to like change the game. When indeed, yes, it will change the game, but you, that's just like your attention grabber. It's a thing on paper that says, oh, well, this person can apply into our program, but then right, what right. else do they bring to the table? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'd say one other thing, too, is as far as just like exposure, I think when it comes to networking, the people who are coming to the U.S. for the very first time are kind of overwhelmed by everything. It's a huge cultural shock. Like everything is new. There's a lot of things which you're not used to. So it helps if you've been in some other, if you've lived abroad before, it makes it goes a long way to help. So that's that's one of the things. So I totally understand people who come in, and, you know, they have good scores and they're just not they're just not sure how to go about networking. And I can easily see that. But prior to me coming here, I lived in Europe. That's where I did my master's in public health. So it's kind of a similar setting. It's very different in, in a lot of ways, but it there's there's a lot of similarities right. too. Yeah. I think
0: the concept of networking is universal. But I think when it comes to medicine, sometimes we don't realize that it has the same power or the same influence, just like it does in the business world. Yeah. And so we just neglect that. And I think also is by the virtue of medicine. Medicine is a profession that attracts people who are typically book smart. And so, you know, we deserve, we think we deserve things based on merit. And if I do well on my boards, it should equate to I get a position. But it's not always the case, especially given several circumstances, whether it's being an IMG or requiring visa sponsorship and just other limiting factors that we will not get into at this point, but there are so many of them. And definitely, I think networking is a tool that can be greatly, greatly utilized. And that's one of the things I teach all. I'm just like, hey, there's a method, there's a system to networking and you have to master it. Otherwise, you're just, you're just going to be doing at a disadvantage. And it doesn't end with getting into residency. It continues on for like literally the rest of your career. Oh, yeah. Because right now, finishing up a fellowship and I'm starting to look at jobs and the first place I got an offer from is a place that my current chair at the emergency department here at UT called somebody up and says, Hey, I have somebody. And that's the first person calling me back and giving me really great offers and options to pick from. Nice. I have not sent in an application yet. So it's just based on my relationship with the chair of the department that I can just be recommended to this other place. And right. I, don't, I haven't applied for it. Right. So networking goes like, it goes beyond just trying to get a residency spot. Yes, right. at the moment, that's yeah. what it's about. But then you realize as you progress in your career, it just becomes like the number one thing that keeps opening up doors. And I think in, in essence, it's almost like, it almost maybe even shows the relationship that we have with humans. Like we're not, no man is an island. Like we oh, need yeah. one another to move forward. For sure.
1: For sure, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So I think a lot of people don't realize this, but in speaking, we're both non-US IMG. So we both had visas, or I, at least I had, I can say had in the past tense, but yeah. we both had visas for training. And you currently work now at the facility where I did my J-1 visa. Yeah. And what people don't realize is like going through this whole process, residency is like one thing, and oh, I yeah. think it's not the most difficult thing. And it's probably the thing that, I think matters the most because even the J1 work to me is not, I mean, it's a piece of cake. If you ask me, right. Oh yeah, It's a piece of cake.
1: Um, Training is hard. Working is easy because you're already trained.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So training is exactly. I like that. Training is hard. Working is easy. So tell us a little bit about that transition for you from residency into work as a J1 physician.
1: So first off, I mean, this, The whole waiver thing, switching, like transitioning from one visa type to another, it's a little bit of a hassle, but I mean, it's fairly standardized. So it's one of those things you really don't have to worry about it until you get there. You talk to a couple of people who have done it and it's pretty straightforward. I mean, most of those things are done by your attorneys attorneys anyway. So it's not like you're really doing anything much. No, so just... what would
0: you tell somebody that's freaking out about that? Because I get a lot of emails from applicants that are they haven't even started residency yet, or they know they'll need a J-1 and they're already freaking out about it. Yesterday, case in point, I had someone in my DMs on Instagram asking me if they took a J-1 position, if mm-hmm. they were going to get the same compensation as a non-J-1 person or like someone in the same job. Or if J ones are compensated lower because they're J ones, and I in my head I just thought, oh my God, what is the perverse that's going out there that makes people feel like J one jobs are just actually have to be the worst? Yes, they have to be in a medical and serve area or in a facility that has that requirement, but that's for the government. But once it comes to your compensation and the work that you do, it's not any different from
1: absolutely no difference. I mean the contracts, the contracts we have. There's a lot of U.S. citizens working where I work right now. So it's not like I have a different contract from what they have. Yeah. No. The yeah. process, let's say the J-1 waiver thing, this is really true. When you're job hunting, it's a little bit tricky, but this is a couple of things which you have to take into consideration, like knowing where to look for jobs and knowing what states to prioritize over others and stuff like that. But those are things which are very easy to tell. Once you get there, you will know what to do. So there's really, I'd say, there's really no need to stress a whole lot about it. There's a lot of jobs, that's for sure, in different places. So if you probably say you want to be in the West Coast versus the East Coast or in the Midwest, there's always a lot of opportunities. So there's really nothing to stress about.
0: I I agree 100%, but I think it's just sometimes, and maybe I'm being a little bit ruthless about this topic because it's been many years since I felt that anxiety. And so I'm a little bit far removed from it. But I can remember looking for jobs, but I don't know. I felt like there were so many jobs. I had more interviews than I could attend, if that makes any sense. Well so when it came to time for looking at jobs. Yeah. You know, but then again, it was a couple of years ago, like not dating myself. It back back on. Yeah, it was 25 no, it's,
1: it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but still there's, there's a lot of jobs.
0: Yeah. So I remember yeah. having to cancel some interviews when I got the offer. At the facility that you're at now, I was just like, I'm not going to any other interviews. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm gonna take this one, make it work. It was exactly what I wanted. Hospital is seven on, seven off, good hourly pay. And it was just like good benefits, moving on. And more importantly, they were going to sponsor my green card. So right. to me, that was like my ultimate number one. And then most things kind of fell after that. So if another IMG is listening to this podcast today and they have, they're looking, they're grasping at stuff. They're like, you know, Dr. Kima can sit over here and it sounds like he's well accomplished and has done all these great things. He's living his good life right now. What's in it yeah. for me, right? So yeah. they're asking, what are some pearls that they can take home with them today based on what you have experienced and the process that you've been through so far?
1: Yeah. All right. So I'd say this, if you're thinking about starting um, like the whole process, like from scratch, you haven't taken your boards, so I'd say, go for those boards, like attack them like your life depended on it. So go for, the, the, get the, the best scores you can potentially get. Once you're done with that, you forget about that. Now it's onto networking. You network like, I mean, your your success depended all on networking. And uh, if you can do just those two, I think you'll be fine. Most people, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Because if you get good scores and you know how to network very well, you definitely get a bunch of interviews. And now when you have those interviews, that's a whole different conversation. You need to prepare well for your interviews. And uh, I mean, you get three, four, five interviews. I don't see why you shouldn't match.
0: Absolutely. I agree. I think you don't need a whole lot really to match because once in our opinion, if you do well on one or two interviews, you can definitely still secure yourself a match because it all depends on how you interview. And then there's so many other factors too, because once you get to interview stage, I mean, they, they like what they see on paper. You just have to convince them that you're the one for the job. And so I definitely agree with that. And what other tips do you have for people who are worried about training on a J1 visa or have reservations about it? And that's something that's maybe holding them back. It's like they're thinking, well, I have to do an underserved requirement. As somebody that's actively doing that, what are your thoughts so far? I'd say
1: it's not as bad as a lot of people make it sound. Because honestly, I mean, the U.S. is the U.S. Irrespective of where you work, you can do pretty much anything you want. This is my week off. If I wanted to go to the beach in Miami right now, I could do it. There's really nothing holding me back. You see what I'm saying? So you have that, the fact that, and your work schedule is really good. You're working seven days straight and then you're off seven days. So if you're off for seven days, even if you worked in where, say in Montana or Wyoming, you can always get out of there when you're off and go catch fun or do whatever. It's really important to you. So it's really not a big deal. It's really not as bad as people make it sound.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's, it's just not as bad as we make it sound. And the fear is actually more crippling than the work itself. And that's unfortunate because there's just tons of opportunity out here waiting to be tapped. And what people actually don't realize is the short term benefit of a J1 job. So, yeah, there are some repercussions with it. Maybe if you have to go to a distant area, but you have access. This is America. You have access to airports, you have access to fly anywhere you want to go. You have, and potentially you have the finances to do it with a lot more ease than the person whose cost of living is astronomically high because they live in the middle of Manhattan, right? Right. So, you know, your dollar can go a whole lot longer and it can do a whole lot more for you yeah. than maybe the person who's overhead is way more than what they bring home. So I think there's just some some subtle advantages that it takes a person that's actually thinking through things rationally as yeah. opposed to someone that's just feeding off of the the fear-mongering or internet trolls or or whatnot. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I enjoyed having this conversation with you. I know that in listening, someone else has taken a lesson or two that they can apply into their life and their IMG journey. We wish you the very best. Do you have any like future plans that you want to share with us? Like, what are you looking at career-wise? Any moves coming up? Anything you want to like bring us in? On.
1: yeah for sure so potentially i might be coming to a city near yeah, any one of you guys for fellowship i know I told you this when I was still interviewing like i was gonna do i was gonna i was gonna go for a fellowship yeah just along the line life happens things things change situation changes and uh, you have to make certain adjustments but when i'm done with my waiver my plan really is to go back into fellowship potentially cardiology and knock it out and then we'll see what happens afterwards.
0: Right. And I would recommend strongly that you buddy up with, what's his name? Dr. Abe. He's definitely a great mentor to have. He works at the same hospital that we were at. And I think he did the same thing. He came to London, worked for a few years, went and did his, I think, fellowship, and then came back and went and did his EP thing again. Like He he did that back and forth. And now he's like the only EP guy in that area. So definitely somebody that I would buddy up with and, Try to get in as a mentor along those lines for sure, because he he definitely knows people in the cardiology world. So thanks for for sharing your dreams and aspirations with us. We wish you the very best. And if an IMG wanted to reach out to you and they wanted to connect with you, what platforms can they connect with you on? Or are you on social media? Or are you more of an email guy? Or how does that work?
1: I'm on social media, but I'm really not active on social. I'm like probably. Yeah, I'm really, really dormant on social media. But yeah, people can reach out to me on Facebook. A lot of people have been doing that already. I mean, during this last application cycle, there's, I mean, a bunch of people I had, I was writing recommendation letters for people who have never, I never saw them. But I mean, it's just like one way to help, right? Yeah. So, but people definitely can, can they can find me on Facebook. Yeah. Awesome.
0: So we'll have your information on Facebook then. All right. Very well. Thanks for having us today. And, We appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with us.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Loom. Thanks for having me.
0: Look at you. I'm so proud of you for listening until the very end. And because of that, you deserve a reward. And I want you to go right now to drninaloom.com and download any of my free eBooks, whether it's for electives or clinical rotations, or even just whatever trials come your way as you navigate your IMG journey. Stay tuned for another episode coming up next.